When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey there, welcome to the High School Hamster Wheel Podcast. I'm your host, Betsy Jewell. If you've been a loyal listener, you know that I took a break from the podcast this past summer. I truly enjoyed my time away. We moved my son into college, we moved our family into a new home, and I spent a lot of time thinking about my plans for the year ahead. I am beyond excited to be back behind the microphone, and I'm looking forward to bringing you amazing guests in the coming episodes. To kick off the new year, I'm thrilled to welcome Lisa Sosnowski to the podcast. Lisa is one of the most passionate, dedicated, big-hearted people I've met in my life. Her mission is to create a better world for people with autism through high-quality training and community. When Lisa's young son was diagnosed with autism, she left her career in accounting to care for her son and to make sure that he was getting the best education and care possible. What she found out over the years was that there were a lot of gaps in the services offered and that the services they did encounter weren't providing what her son really needed. Rather than sit back and complain about it, Lisa took matters into her own hands and spent years educating herself and connecting with people and resources who could make a difference. The result of all her time and dedication led Lisa to her vision creating a world in which people with autism can live and learn and become more independent. Her passion and enthusiasm are contagious. So I'll let Lisa take it from here. Hi, Lisa. Thanks so much for being here today on the High School Hamster Wheel Podcast. Thank you for having me. It's so important to get the word out about services in the autism field and how they're really failing uh, both the students and the adults. Yeah, and I'm so glad our paths crossed through your cousin slash my friend, um, because (laughs) I was not aware of the work that you're doing or your mission and um, the nonprofit you're working on. So I I definitely want to talk about that. But can we just start um, just a little bit for my audience, kind of who you are how you, the, maybe the why behind what you do. Right. Um, well, my name's Lisa Sosnowski. I have an accounting degree from Rutgers. And I have worked in corporate accounting uh, 17 years before I had my son, um, Stephen, who is now 16. He's autistic. He also has limited verbal ability, yet he has uh, many Uh, talents. He's a great photographer. He can drive his own go-kart and he does understand most of what you're saying to him. So um, I think that needs to really be, uh, you know, put into the autism community that uh, language does not equal cognition. So he's basically the reason why I started this nonprofit. Um, I wanted to use my business experience. I've uh, led multidisciplinary teams 
across the country at 13 um, energy from waste plants. Um, the environment was very important to me and still is. Um, that is why Spectrum Tech Trade School Village and Training Center will not only be a vocational school for autistics, but it will also uh, be located for my dream is to be on an organic farm. So we can also provide employment and housing, which is uh, really in crisis for autistic uh, people. That sounds amazing. And I'm sure there's parents listening that, you know, have children on the spectrum, whether they're younger or or older, and kind of want to know how you got here. Because, you know, you and I talked for a while uh, last week, and I I was so impressed by the amount of knowledge you have and information. And I mean, you've really dug into this and learned more than the average person would know. Yeah, I, I try to call myself a jack of all trades. I'm not an expert in anything. And in fact, I really don't like the word expert because I think we're all continually learning um, about this field. And no one, if anyone says I'm an expert and you should do it my way, um, you should be leery about that because there are so many different methodologies out there. There's so many different therapies out there right now. Um, and, you know, research is actually being done in these areas, except most people only focus on the ABA portion of it because that is the most well-known. But there, there's there's tons of research out there. And, and I've done research from the beginning. I mean, my, my son was diagnosed at two. We noticed uh, regression in him. He spoke at seven months old. He had some language. He recognized his name and um, he stopped speaking. And he started getting these chronic ear infections and we were concerned. And We actually brought it up to the pediatrician and she kind of blew us off and said, well, he's 18 months old, you know, boys don't speak like girls and, you know, you shouldn't be that, that concerned. Um, and we were concerned. <laughs> so um, I was going to a chiropractor at the time and because he was having the chronic ear infections and constantly on antibiotics, I'm like, this is not good. So um, we tried to go and get him adjusted. And the chiropractor is like, well, if you're really concerned, maybe you should look into early intervention um, and see what they have to say. So we had scheduled the appointment. And by the time he came to his two-year checkup, the pediatrician, his behaviors had, had slid and so much that the pediatrician was like, oh yeah, maybe you should see a neurologist. So now so now you're six months delayed because all these people have like this, these long waiting periods to get on the list. Thankfully, we we're already on the list for early intervention so we could get services. However, our, our road was not an easy one. And I think, I, I don't know, I think this is like my, my life path, <laughs> why I'm on this planet. And I think I've had all these experiences with my son so I can really uh, tell people and navigate them through the system. Um, the, the early intervention system, I know there are some people that have wonderful experiences with early intervention. We did not. We, we had very poor experience with early intervention. We had um, therapists that would show up late at the house. They expect your child to be ready, um, not playing with any toys, sitting at the table, ready to work. And you're like, my child is two years old. Uh, <laughs> how do you expect this to happen? But you know, these people are the experts and I was a new parent. He's my only child. So 
I'm like, what do I know? They, they know better than me, but I think parents need to really, um, you know, keep their, their gut feeling and, and not like blow it off and, and tell people, you know, oh, they're the expert and, and I don't know what mm, you know about your child. <laughs> so I, I think yes, that, yes, that should be. So, um, we went here to, to early intervention and we had one um, therapist. She's like, she was an ABA therapist and she's like, well, I, I have this two hour block and this is the way my schedule is. So I want to come for two hours at a time. And I'm like, that sounds really long, but okay. So we're, we're doing this therapy and it became so traumatic for my child that he would drop to the floor and start screaming. And as soon as she got there and like scream for two hours straight. And she's mm-hmm. telling me, don't, ignore him. We have to extinguish the behavior. Don't, you know, don't support him. You have to extinguish the behavior. If you go and you try to comfort him, you're going to just um, make it happen longer. And I'm like, this is traumatic for me. Finally, I, I just said, I'm like, we need to reorganize the team. And then I started to find out that there is actually another methodology that some parents don't even know about till today that it's called the Greenspan method or floor time, which is more of a play therapy, which I think is definitely more appropriate for a young child, um, where you're you're really getting the child to engage with people. And that is more important um, than making them comply to something when they're two years old, because many two-year-olds don't want to comply as it is. So you can't expect a neurotypical two-year-old to sit for two hours and comply to, to direction by adults. So why are you expecting that from an autistic child? Well, and you continued to face challenges as he as he aged, right? Because I mean, now he's 16, but all throughout, he was in, he was mainstreamed in public school part of the time? Uh, he wasn't, he was in a, uh, what they call a self-contained classroom, but we were in the public school system and he had issues there. He had a lot of sensory issues. So when he would go to transition between his classroom to other classes or to gym in the hallways, he would basically drop to the floor and he'd be looking at where the ceiling and the walls would meet and it's a line. So he liked that linear. Um, It must have organized his brain. So he's like looking at this and they said, well, that's dangerous because it's dangerous to him. He could get trampled and it's dangerous to other students because he could knock into them. They could trip over him. So our suggestion is that we put a hood over his head and cover his eyes so he can't see that while he's going through the hallway. And I said, wow, that's like blinders on a horse. I don't think so. (laughs) And so we decided to get a lawyer. We got out. We said it was inappropriate. And um, we we definitely, you know, got out of the, the school system. And we went to a private placement. So here here we are at the private placement. And um, we did not find out that he was having um, issues and behaviors in the classroom. When other kids would have behaviors, he would drop down to the floor and start laughing and rolling around on the floor. Um, not appropriate not saying that was appropriate behavior, but to extinguish the behavior, they decided to, instead of remove him from the area and get him to regulate himself, um, they decided to hold him down in what they call a CPI holder, a crisis prevention intervention, um, where they actually restrain um, the person. And we, this was in like 2016. Now they've made a law that you have to be notified as a parent if they use this intervention on your child. But um, 
they didn't tell us. And he came out of school when I picked him up and he had these huge scratches on his shoulders. And I said, what happened? And they told me, and I'm like, how did this happen? You know, what, what's going on? So I immediately took him to the pediatrician and my husband called the principal and said, this is a concern. We're taking him to his pediatrician to document this because we don't want DIFUS to be called on us because it, they will right. call, you know, services against you if they think your child's being abused. I'm like, I, if somebody sees this on them, they're going to think that I'm abusing my child, especially if he's having a behavior out. They're going to think that something is happening. So, um, you know, we did that and we told them, do not do that anymore. Um, we, do, we want him to be able to regulate you're putting him in fight or flight because he's fighting them as he's doing this and they had no exit strategy. So he could have been in these holds for hours. I don't even know um, how long that was. I don't know if they documented it or anything, but I, I told them, I, I'm really not going to tell my child if someone's holding them down not to fight back because the statistics of sexual abuse in uh, the autistic community, I mean, they don't even have, I don't, know any statistics on men, but women, nine out of 10 autistic women have reported sexual abuse. That wow. is very scary. Wow. That is alarming. That is alarming, isn't it? Um, and I'm assuming that these are um, women that are able to communicate. What about the nonverbal or um, semi-verbal or semi-speaking um, individuals? Could they even communicate what that is? If they're not if they don't have health for them in school, which is another thing, a lot of these schools don't teach them health or body autonomy. How are they supposed to know they're even being abused that, you know, they to report it or anything like that. Um, you have to really teach these kids that uh, no matter what their verbal ability is, we really need to, to talk about it with them and explain it in, you know, in terms that they would understand so they can keep themselves safe. So I told them, I'm never going to tell them not to fight back. And this is when he started like pinching people because he was in fight or flight. If you would come toward him too quickly, he would think you're going to hold me down and I don't know how I'm going to get out of this and I can't communicate to you and I can't tell mom or dad. So uh, that's when, when that started. And, you know, that was like, you know, not helpful to us, obviously, because my, my son never did that before where he would pinch somebody. Um, so, I mean, we've had that happen to him. We've had incidents on the bus. <laughs> there was a, another student that was actually attacking him. We didn't realize it until we saw it happen one day. He was hitting him over the head and he was choking him with a with a, a seatbelt. Now we had noticed my son started twisting a seatbelt in in the car. And we're like, what is this about? So, you know, that's my number one tip. If your child is exhibiting any kind of different behavior, especially if your child uh, is non-speaking or um, limited speaking ability, start checking out what's happening because all behavior is communication. It, it, they're trying to tell you something. And, um, you really have to look at what is happening, especially when you have a, a child that is not speaking like a neurotypical child would. And even um, autistics that have high verbal ability will tell you in, in cases where they are under extreme stress or extremely frightened, 
they cannot speak. And that actually has to do with anatomy. The vagus nerve will close down your throat when you're extremely um, put into fight or flight. Because basically, if you're running from a tiger, you don't need to speak. You need to breathe and get oxygen to your muscles and your body will actually do this. And it's beyond anyone's control. So a lot of things that you see in the autistic community, like fight, aggression, flight, elopement, where uh, kids will just run away for, they think no reason, but this is actually part of the fight or flight system or freeze, which is dissociation, no eye contact where they're rocking in the corner or something, they're trying to calm themselves down. That is actually like trauma responses already. When someone dissociates, you're already in trauma and you can actually um, get PTSD moments. There's adults that will tell you, oh yeah, I I experienced something um, that happened a few days ago. And I'm taking a, a trauma masterclass right now with uh, the National Institute for Clinical Application of Behavioral Medicine. And it is really eye-opening that actually is a trauma response. You go into trauma time and you actually re-experience something that is happening to you. And it could be days later. Um, so sometimes when uh, kids are having what they're labeling is behaviors are actually um, not a behavior. It's actually your body's correct response to a danger situation because it's perception, right? Um, and mm -hmm. in, in autism, it's all about different perception. Uh, as neurotypicals, sometimes we have a hard time thinking about it that way. You, like I said before, you've done so much research, you've taken all these classes, um, and you sent me an incredible list of resources, which I will include in the show notes, so anybody who wants to visit any of them. But for parents who might be starting off on this journey, or or maybe not, maybe they have a teenager who... Um, has been diagnosed and is they're struggling to learn more or equip themselves to be a better advocate for their child. What would you say the the top, you know, one or two resources would be for them to investigate? Well, number one resource I would say is read Beyond Behaviors and Brain Body Parenting. And they're both by uh, Mona Delahook. Follow her on Instagram. She will talk about the developmental iceberg, that you only see the tip of the iceberg when you see a behavior. You do not see what's going on underneath. There is a myriad of things that could be happening. It could be, you know, a, a sensory perception. It could be a fight or flight. It, it could be, you know the child is just overwhelmed at school and they're having um, executive functioning issues, which is common in autism, where you really can't um, plan ahead. Um, and a lot of times, you know, we're, we're not teaching these kids how to do that um, when they're having difficulties. It could be, you know, a language, just a language difficulty. I, I always have told um, the school that he was at, you know, if you speak to my son like he's three years old, he will always have a vocabulary of a three-year-old. So, you know, that is a problem because people will assume that he doesn't understand anything and has cognitive deficits when it it might not be so. It might be he hasn't been exposed to language. So I'd say expose your child to as much language as possible. Break out the thesaurus. Um, you know, do shades of meaning with them. Don't just say sad, you know, or scared. 
say frightened. My son will tell me frightened. And I'm, I'm very happy about that. You know, he loves Thomas the train. So he'll say Thomas is frightened. And I'm instead of Thomas is scared. So, you know, you want them to know what that language is. Because when people speak to them, if they don't understand the words that they're saying, how can they respond correctly? Um, you know, and a lot of people, especially as they get older, are going to assume that they understand those words because they're an adult. If you never expose them to the word frightened, they wouldn't know what that is. So, um, That's a great point. and that, that goes, I, um, E.D. Hirsch, this book, The Schools We Need and Why We Don't Have Them. Um, he talks about, it's not just a choice of schools we need, it's a choice of ideas. Because we can have a lot of schools using the same ideas, but it's the same thing. So just because one school, one school tell you, well, we're better than another school. Well, if you're using the same methodology, why are you better? Um, if it's not working, why are we continually trying to pound the square peg into the round hole? It's not going to work. It, and then we're, we're, you know, we have adults that don't have skills and we have 90% of autistic adults being unemployed or underemployed and 50% of 25 year olds never having a pay year, paying job and a 10 year wait for housing in New Jersey. And that's only projected to get worse because the autism rates have increased incredibly. Welcome to the Wellness Driven Life Show, your gateway to a new dimension of wellness featuring discussions with world-renowned experts, pioneers, champions, and professionals. Experience high-end production, sophistication, and easily applicable tips and tricks for everyday life. Your journey to wellness, it starts here and it starts now. Tune in to the Wellness Driven Life Show and become a part of the evolution of driven living. So that's a great segue into talking about your mission. And I was blown away when I first heard about this, and I'm thrilled to be able to give you a platform to tell people about it. Um, let's start just kind of with the basics, what it is, what you, your hopes for it are, and um, and how people can get involved. Great. Um, well, Spectrum Tech Trade School Village and Training Center. I know it's a long name, but the idea is it will be a trade school, a village and a training center. So it's going to be, um, I call it the innovative, individualized, inspirational, intensive, trauma-informed, motor sensory language approach to experiential skill building, building strength-based, scaffolded, flexible learning paths. Wow, that's a mouthful. <laughs> it's 100%. <laughs> it's a, it is a mouthful. <laughs> it's like, well, how do I describe this? It's a lot of things. It's a lot of things. But we're, we're really trying to look at a 100% customizable learning to the individual. We want to look at strength-based because so many programs are deficit-based and they're just looking at what these kids can't do. And a lot of the programs really are looking at the spectrum as a linear where we're, they're talking about these, these labels, which autistic people hate. And, uh, and I know why they hate them, because they're talking about high functioning versus low functioning. So we're high functioning, you go to college, and here you go. And they're assuming you don't have any supports, and you don't need them because you're high functioning. And you could just, 
you sh you should just be able to go through everything um, and you know have no problems. And a lot of the autistic adults will say, well, we don't get the supports, and then they're depressed because they feel like failures, and they're being told that they're lazy or they if they just applied themselves, they'd be able to do it. And that's not necessarily the case because the spectrum is circular. They may have severe social anxiety that causes them issues with being in groups and in certain classes or, or discussions or speaking in public, yet they have very high verbal ability. So they're they're like, well, you you speak, so you you should be okay. Um, and they're not really getting the supports, and that's why there's like three times the suicide rate in autism compared to neurotypicals. Three times the suicide rate. That's that's a lot. Um, that is a lot. And then then you have you know people that are labeled low functioning, like my son, and they're put in like life skills classrooms where they're not really teaching them academics. I remember fighting in an IEP meeting and saying, you're telling me functional academics, but you're not teaching him about money and math. How is he ever going to manage money and know how to buy something at the store? You're just making him totally dependent on someone else. And that's not the way it should be. It should be supported independence. As much support as the person needs, but they should be able to be as independent as possible. That's the idea of the villages, where we're going to have supported living, um, different living levels, where, where people will have different types of supports depending on where they're living. And um, they they will be able to get the supports they need, yet they'll be able to have some autonomy and make decisions and not, you know, live somewhere where they're subject to, oh, well, this is the schedule where the bus will take you to the store if you want to buy something and, and, you know, where their lives are put in this little box and they really don't have many choices. You know, when someone's labeled low functioning, they're not going to uh, reach their potential because they're not going to be exposed to things. I remember being at therapy um, and a grandmother of a, another student came in and she's like, I saw your son at iPlay America and I couldn't believe it. He was driving his own go-kart. Go I mean, my grandson couldn't do that because her grandson was verbal and what they would have labeled high functioning. And I said, well, why not? Just because my, my son doesn't really speak. You're assuming that he can't do other things. And my t son tells me he wants to drive a tractor when he grows up. So I want to make that a reality for him. Um, I'm going to try as hard as I can to do that. So that that's the idea. You know, he's my inspiration behind this. But people should have the opportunities to explore different pathways. We should look at the strengths of someone and say, hey, they they might not be able to speak, but they're very good artists or they're, you know, and we should turn that into some kind of of career. Why can't they be illustrators for a publisher then? If they're a good artist, they should be able to be to be able to do that. We just have to give them the skills that they're missing to be able to perform that job. So if they need help with communication, if they need help using an alternative uh, augmentative communication device, like an iPad, we need to give them that because my son has an iPod and he can type words, but it's not like they're working on grammatical sentences with him. I'm like, he could be writing a book. I don't even know if he could do that because you're not 
even exposing him to that. <laughs> why are you doing that? That's why I'm trying to connect. I have over a thousand connections worldwide and I'm trying to connect to people that are really, um, I'm the jack of all trades, but they're the masters in the field. And I want them to help me and, and not only help Spectrum. Our, our goal is to, you know, we have um, ideas on the table of doing some online training. So people should sign up and subscribe on the website, uh, www.spectrumtechtradeschool.com. Um, we are planning to do online training for both parents and professionals where we could bring some of these these people in to give tips and and help people all over because my my goal is not to just have it in New Jersey to have multiple locations in New Jersey go nationwide and worldwide I'm I'm not stopping you are an inspiration i mean the energy you have and the fact that you're taking you know your own personal experience and turning it into something that can help families all over it's just i have so much so much admiration for you. Um, so let's talk about how this is going to happen because funding, 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 right? I mean, is that probably your biggest challenge at this point? Yeah, the biggest challenge is funding because obviously, you know, I'm not a fundraiser. <laughs> That's not my expertise. And actually, we do have a great board. Um, we have somebody on the board who's actually one like um, nonprofit CFO of the year. Um, he works for another nonprofit that um, does housing for people with multiple disabilities. You know, our focus is autism, but he's doing multiple disabilities. So we have that. We have um, wonderful therapists on the board. The vice president actually is uh, a, one of my, my son's therapists. She's a, a clinical doctor of physical therapy and she's a cranial sacral therapist. Um, and she does wonders for my son's anxiety. We're, we're doing some, some great things with her and she, she really is, you know, the inspiration, uh, with, with my son, because when I was talking to her about this idea back, um, I don't know, five years ago, she said, well, why don't you do it? And I said, well, only if you do it with me, <laughs> I'm not jumping alone. You have to go with me. And she said, okay, let's do it. So, um, she's definitely, and then she connected me with other people. We have, um, a developmental optometrist on our board, uh, which vision therapy is very important. Um, I encourage parents to look into that, um, even of neurotypical kids, because vision does affect the way you're learning. It does affect the way you're reading. It does affect the way you're doing math. Um, and it affects the way your fight or flight system is working as well, because vision is a way we identify threats in our, our environment. So it could be affecting a lot of different things under the surface that you don't realize. But we need a fundraiser. So if anybody out there wants to help and join us, we are looking for some board members with, with certain... Uh, skills that we don't have. We, we're looking for fundraising. Um, we're looking for other parents, of course, because I don't want to be the only parent with input. I would love to have other parents on the board. And I would also love to have somebody that has uh, legal experience in nonprofits, preferably on the board. <laughs> not not my, you know, expertise. We have to go out and we have to, you know, kind of contract with people or, you um, things like that for, for some services. I mean, I know business law, but when it comes to nonprofit law, it's not, it's not as cut and dry. So we could use that. And then of course, you know, on our website, we have a GoFundMe um, mm -hmm. campaign going on right now. Um, and hoping, you know, we do 
you know, people don't want to go through GoFundMe. We we accept checks too. Our address is on the the website. If you want to just send a check, that's that's too great too. We 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 don't just say you have to contribute to our GoFundMe, but we're trying to actually raise money for a Monday um, through Friday program. Obviously, um, you know, we would need money. We'll take a donation of a farm if anybody has one too. Is that your goal, right? To have the to have the village on a farm. Yeah, on a farm where um, it's very tranquil. We think that it would be a good environment for uh, autistics to have that less sensory input. Um, and because a lot of these students have had traumatic experiences that they may not be able to talk about, um, and that's the trauma masterclass that I'm taking also talks about um people should check out uh Stephen Porges with the polyvagal or polyvagal theory um about the vagus nerve the vagus nerve is very important about um the fight or flight system and when we shut down <laughs> during fight or flight we also shut down the higher functioning of our brain so it's almost impossible for us to learn so we have to make sure everybody's brains are ready to learn. And if we have to really work on trauma, we have to do that. And with kids that have limited verbal ability, there is body work that you could do with trauma. In fact, the, the vice president on the board with the cranial sacral therapy, she has worked with, with trauma. Um, so she's currently doing that with my son. Um, because of all the traumatic experiences that he's had. And it, it has really helped her, him. You could really see the difference when she works on him, how his body just relaxes and into the table. And he's just, all of a sudden, he's very focused. Mm. And even speech becomes clearer because, you know, you're not so anxious all the time. Um, so, you know, that at any kind of you know, volunteer, anybody who wants to volunteer, anybody who's um, a therapist that would love to work with us. Obviously, we're going to need to hire people for our, uh, both the Monday through Friday. And currently what we're doing is the GoFundMe actually is for a proof of concept. We're trying to do a weekend program because to get any of the large grants, because obviously we apply for grants um, as well, to get large grants, they really want to see something in action. So you can't just say, well, we're doing this. Look at my son's photography. We've worked with him and, you know, he's, you know, semi-verbal and we've used this motor sensory language approach on him. And we took his, you know, his like of photography and we turned it into something incredible. If you, you could follow us at Spectrum Tech trade school on Instagram and Facebook, and you could see some of his photography. It's, it's actually pretty amazing. He blows me away, actually. <laughs> He's my kid, I know, but it's, it, they're pretty good. <laughs> yeah, I love that. So can you give any parents who might be listening who have a child on the spectrum and are just kind of at a loss and not sure what to do next, what are your best tips for them? Well, obviously, I, I said about Mona De La Hook and Stephen Porges, I would read both of them. Those definitely are, you know, quality um, and and quantity because you're going to get a lot out of it. You're going to realize how the current system is not really supporting people when they're in crisis and the fact that, you know, your child's perception may be different. I always say um, I go to Lost Boys. <laughs> where I'm dating myself, <laughs> the movie where <laughs> Kiefer Sutherland goes, Michael, you're eating worms. No, Michael, it's just noodles. 
and that's perception, right? That's mm-hmm. all about it. You're you're seeing the worms or you're seeing the noodles. And if somebody's seeing the worms, you know, my son has a lot of eating issues. A lot of autistics are actually, you know, deathly afraid. They're they're afraid of choking. Sometimes they say they're afraid of choking with certain textures. Um, they're, you know, they're afraid of certain foods and it, it has to do with color. Some of them have very um, bad GI problems. Your child may have GI problems. Your child, if they have chronic ear infections, my son had chronic ear infections. We found out that he had reflux. Uh, my son is gluten and dairy and soy free. And I'm not saying people should go out there and just change their child's diet and it's going to cure autism. I'm not, I'm not saying that. I'm saying that a lot of these kids actually have GI problems. There is a higher rate of GI issues in the autistic community than neurotypicals probably because of anxiety, but um, there could be silent reflux. It's not like my son was vomiting up. So the GI doctor was like, oh, he doesn't have reflux. And you're very silly with, I'm like, I did a food sensitivity test and he does have the food sensitivity. So I think it's that. And he's like, those aren't real allergies. It shouldn't be affecting it. And I said, well, let's scope him anyway. And when we scoped him, he actually did the biopsy and he found out he has eosinophilic esophagitis, which is reflux due to food sensitivities. (laughs) So actually it was real. And that's why I always say question everything. And even if a doctor tells you something, get a second opinion. Don't yeah. always go with what they're telling you. Um, they may not be gut, right. right? Because- I mean, nobody knows your kid better than you and nobody's a better advocate for your child than you are. That is 100% the truth. If I had listened to the experts, I, I don't think my son would would be where he is. He would be in pain from GI problems, first of all, because he does take medication for his reflux. And we'd have behaviors that they would be labeling behaviors, but really it's not a behavior. It's just, mom, I'm trying to tell you that my stomach hurts. And, you know, so that, that's, you know, obviously a tip too. do, do not, you know, do not think that your child doesn't, you know, just because they're not exhibiting things like vomiting or something. If they're having any kind of issues with food selectivity, this could all be because they are having pain when they're eating certain things. They could have swallowing issues, which I didn't realize. My son was tongue-tied when he was born, and we had the tongue-tie corrected by an ENT when he was two. But at that time, not that a two-year-old was going to do exercises. You really should do exercises after you get this procedure done because you have to make sure that it doesn't reattach or um, retract into your mouth because you want... The mobility of your tongue affects your speech and everything. So your child could be tongue-tied. Your child may need uh, like an oral motor interventions. Um, There's prompt therapy, which um, uses different prompts on the face to actually make the face learn what muscles need to be used to say certain sounds. And there's oral myofunctional therapy, which is what he should have had after his tongue tie correction, where they're working on the the muscles in his tongue. There's cranial nerves in there that could be really impinged or something. If you're my son, um, they used a vacuum when he was born, vacuum suction. So it, it did, he had a big bruise on the back of his head. And I didn't realize that that could actually be doing something to your cranium. So we, we do cranial sacral therapy. That's another thing. Go, um, 
www.upledger.com, you could find a therapist that way. That, that could be issues. So there's so many different things that could be out there that could be really affecting it. And that's the other idea behind the school. As a parent, I know how it is to drive around New Jersey from the bottom to the top. I used to go down to Mount Holly for therapy. Then I would go up to East Brunswick. I, I'm in Monmouth County. So, you know, I, I'm traveling all over. I'm traveling to to the beach area. I'm traveling all the way to to the western part of Jersey for different therapies and you're just exhausted. And so is your child. I mean, there's a, a lot of autistic adults that talk about it. There's a TED talk by uh, Robin Racingo out there. She's autistic. She was late diagnosed after her daughter was diagnosed. And she talks about how your child should be able to be a child. And that's important for them as well. And we don't think about that a lot. We're just like, I have to help my child. So I'll give them 50 million therapies and then they're going to school and the child's exhausted. There's a certain amount where you have less return on investment, the more you pile on to your child. Even as adults, we have that too, right? There's only so much you can do and then you start falling off and and not performing as well. So right, the neuroplastic though they say neuroplasticity is through the lifetime. Um, obviously it's easier though, because the way the brain works is we're, we're creating these pathways when we learn things and they become stronger and stronger as we keep doing them. Um, that's how a baby learns to walk. They look very, you know, unstable when they're first learning to walk because they really don't have that, that strength with that neuron to, to, um, do perform that task. But as they get good at it, then it becomes just natural to them. So obviously, as you get older, these these pathways become stronger. And if it's, you know, something that's really a, an issue for you, um, whether it's visual perception, and they haven't identified it, because visual perception issues could, could happen, and you could be just getting headaches when you're reading a lot. And kids are like, Oh, I don't, I don't like to read. Well, the reason they don't like to read is because they read for an extended period of time and they're getting a headache. And actually that has to do because their eyes aren't working together. So <laughs> that's why it's so important to investigate all these things. And you're not, do they're not doing this at the schools. So our idea is we're going to do a thorough investigation of all these different areas in the school. And then after that, we're going to actually do the therapies that are going to help these kids and do intensive therapies and not worry so much about um, complying or obeying or, um, you know, doing so much task analysis where someone has to perform something 10 times to be that they did it correctly. I mean, I don't want to perform something 10 times in a row. What if the child is just bored? You just, you don't know that because right. they have communication issues. So they can't tell you, I don't want to do that anymore. So then they drop to the floor and they're like, oh, they don't know that. No, they do know it. They just don't want to tell you 10 times in a row that they know that. Um, so I think that's where we have to really rethink the whole system, you know, where we have to go in there and say, no, we're going to do this approach. And we're really going to look at what's, what, what is the issue with each child? Because if you're giving, you know, someone who doesn't need oral myofunctional therapy, oral myofunctional therapy, and they don't really need it, you're wasting their time when it could better be used somewhere else. So that that's the idea behind Spectrum Tech. And then parents can have a community where they're coming. I would love to do trauma workshops with parents because it is traumatic, 
being in this space. You're, you're very isolated. You, um, you're being told to ignore your child in distress. That, that is not natural for a parent to do. Um, it, it's traumatic. Um, and then you have this guilt that you deal with after that. And you're like, when you learn and you're like, oh, I feel guilty that I didn't support my child, you know, so you have a lot to deal with. So parents need that too. They need that support network. And I would love for the village to include that support network for parents and families where, where, you know, you don't have to take your kid to therapy five times a week because you want to help them. You don't have to go broke um, where we can actually have, you know, gatherings with families, uh, travel with families together, where we could support each other, and you don't feel like everyone's looking at you because your child uh, has issues and they're they're having a difficult time with some sensory thing. Um, where we can actually have, you know, have your life back. I want you to have your life back. I want my life back too. That's amazing. I, yeah, I, I have to believe so many parents are really feeling alone and unsupported and the fact that you're creating not just this incredible system of resources but a support network for them is thank you amazing <laughs> i i'm so thrilled for the work you're doing and if i i will continue to promote it and support it in any way i can and um, i'm grateful that you took the time to talk to me today we will put all the links in the show notes. And if people want to reach out to you directly, what's the best way to do that? Um, just Lisa, L-I-S-A, at SpectrumTechTradeSchool.com. I decided to be easy because Sosnowski can be <laughs> difficult. So it's just Lisa, <laughs> Lisa at SpectrumTechTradeSchool.com. Email me. I would love to talk to you, you know, do a Zoom call, talk to you. Um, I'm always here. I, I, you know, I volunteered as a, a parent to parent mentor at one time. I, I, I'm willing to talk to you and, and try to help as much as possible. And hey, if you're not in New Jersey and you have connections in your state and you, I would love to come there too. So hook me up and I will, I will come. If you want me to come, I will come there. I'm not stopping. I, I, I know, you know, I could have went back to work and just worried about my son's education and put him wherever I wanted to and, and paid for that. But I, I knew that wasn't the right answer. The right answer was actually um, going up against the system and changing it because he's eventually going to be an adult. So if things don't change for adults, it, it doesn't matter. You know, it doesn't matter. And and to tell you the truth, I've gone to a lot of schools out there and there hasn't been one that I've found that has everything that I want to do with Spectrum. Amazing. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for being here. I, I'm so grateful and um, we will definitely be in touch. Yes. Thank you so much. I am incredibly grateful. And to all the parents out there, don't give up hope because I am coming. <laughs> <laughs> I'm coming. I'm not stopping. I always say, they say, you know, the, the cracks, um, it lets the light in. That's what they say. I say, no, the cracks let the light out and lets you shine in someone else's darkness. So I'm here. I'm bringing a match and a candle. I'm coming. I am in awe of Lisa. The knowledge and information she has acquired is nothing short of incredible. And her mission is so inspiring. If your family needs help, think about connecting with Lisa and learning more. And be sure to check out the abundant list of resources that Lisa has created. 
It can be found on the show notes page at highschoolhamsterwheel.com slash 121. If there is any way at all you feel that you can get involved and help Lisa's vision become a reality, please contact her. Whether you can join the board, provide a service, or even make a monetary contribution, all help is welcome. Please consider donating to the Spectrum Tech GoFundMe account. You can find a link right on the homepage of Lisa's website, spectrumtechtradeschool.com. That wraps it up for this episode. Thanks so much for being here. I truly appreciate you listening and supporting me. Please follow and connect with me on Facebook or Instagram and let me know what topics you'd like me to include on the show. That's it for now. I'll be back soon with another episode of the High School Hamster Wheel Podcast. You've got questions, we've got answers. Business leadership, ownership, and sales can be challenging. Tune into the Accelerate Your Business Growth podcast to learn from the world's experts. Join me, your host, Diane Helbig, as I chat with people who have expertise in various areas of business. You'll enjoy the lively conversations that are focused on providing you with the ideas, tips, and suggestions you need to realize greater success. Get what you need for your business when you need it from the people who have the answers. Accelerate Your Business Growth is part of the Evergreen Podcast Network and is available on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast.